there's just a lot of life experiences. And so we try and pick up a level of diversity through an interview process. And then ultimately, we all have to meet the same benchmark. You know, we still all pass the CPAT. We still pass a written test. We still have to get through recruit school. The level of qualification doesn't change no matter what color you are or what gender or what your religious background is. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Federal Resources Studio. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Hey, are you tired of hearing about diversity in the fire service yet? I'm going to assume you are. The big question is, why in 2018, almost 2019, are we still talking about it? My guest today has an interesting theory about that. The hiring process brings in more diverse probies, but then the training process homogenizes them all over again. In short, the fire service gets people of different backgrounds that it wants, then it undoes the whole thing once those people are in the fire service. Here to explain how and why this could be avoided is Trisha Walford. Trisha is an assistant chief with the Spokane, Washington Fire Department. During over a decade in the fire service, she's also worked for fire departments in Montana and Maryland. She's a member of the Executive Fire Officers Sections Board and chair of the IAFC's Professional Development Committee. And Trisha joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm glad we can talk about it. You wrote an article asking if we're killing our own diversity. Are we? I, I think we might be. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that we might be. I feel like there's plenty of departments out there who are working really hard at recruitment efforts. And then they get down the line and they realize, why, why, aren't, I, why aren't I feeling that diversity? Why aren't I having that diversity of my members? And and then that word diversity, right? Is it's, it's it's like we start to get tired of hearing ourselves say it. It's a hot button word. It's kind of like sustainability. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I hear what you're saying, but are you really asking if we're teaching recruits of different colors, different orientation, or heritage to act like the fire service norm? I feel like that that could be the tendency that could happen because we're not just looking for a certain color person, a certain gender person. I mean, the the level of diversity has increased so much of socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnicity, where they were raised in the country, how they were raised, what their beliefs are. There's so many things that go into that diverse word and then we get them in and we get them hired and we want that variety of a thought process of, of how to execute problem solving. 
And then we spend a vast amount of time getting them to conform, getting them to be just like their neighbor standing in line with them for morning lineup. And we want that for all kinds of fantastic operational reasons. And we need to have that. But when do we get to the point that they feel comfortable to to be themselves? And that is where I see the disconnect in the recruitment process and the level of acceptance and, and how to keep that uniqueness and allow those unique ideas to come across in a 30-year career. Well, and there's the question. How do you encourage them to, for lack of a better phrase, remain diverse? but still fit into the program the the way that we understand it. Yeah, I think some of maybe what I'm seeing or or maybe just a perception, you know, it's hard to gather data and do research on these types of things is, you know, is there a disconnect between what's happening in recruit training and in a training environment versus what's happening at a station level when they become a probationary versus, you know, part of it has to be owned by the administration and the hiring process and and how that occurs. So there's no blame on anyone or there's blame on everyone, depending on how you want to look at it. But everybody has a, a fair piece of the pie, in, including the new member who also has to be who they are and be competent in who they are. So we're, we're still all in it together. And I still don't think we have a good solution. What would a solution look like? How would it look different than what we have today? I think what we're trying to to start working on is um, the the training process in the training academy, no matter what the length of is your uh, for your academy time, should be pretty regimented and pretty strict because it's it's difficult training and and we want them to go through that and understand the rules and the policies and and what it means to work as a, a team and to not be an individual. So that's important. Where I see where we have some flexibility is once they get into their first probationary year in the station. And for really at the station level with station officers working with administration to to really be able to evaluate a new recruit as a new member of the department. But part of that evaluation is is to be able to evaluate their individual strengths, things that they bring to the table that maybe somebody else doesn't. And for the most part, most of the checkoff sheets or whatever evaluation process you have for new probationary members don't seem to take into account what, what is diverse about them, what is unique that they're going to bring forward. You know, we're starting to see uh, educational requirements that really are looking for something other than a fire science degree, you know, a, a pre-law student or somebody that was an English major. So things like that, trying to bring in a different element of education, but then allowing them to actually use it to benefit the department. That's where I'm starting to see where we need to tune into that. Now, you focused on the simple task of meal prep. A house full of FDNY firefighters is probably going to want meat and potatoes. <laughs> so the question then becomes, is it the probie's job to introduce them to diversity at the dinner table? Well, that that's a tough one because food is near and dear to my heart. You know, pretty much being born and raised in a fire station myself, either surrounded by my uncles and my cousins or being a firefighter on the floor. Tough ass to mess with somebody's food, right? <laughs> um, well, yeah, think, especially when you're new to the job. <laughs> yeah, no, you should probably still have the meat and potatoes, like, stashed in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but I think it's the concept of, of just being a little open, right? Going, you know what? Let, let's see what you're going to cook today. Let, let's see what maybe you could teach me. That type of thing. It, it's that willingness to go, you know what? It's just one meal, right? What could one meal hurt? You know, I know we're going to have steak and potatoes for dinner tonight. Why couldn't I try something new here? Um, and make it a, a, a fun experience, a more of a bonding experience. And, and we know how those things go, right? There's a little ribbing on the side. There's some joking about it. Maybe there's some funny stuff that comes out of it that just becomes then more of an element of inclusion for that new recruit that says, hey, this is who I am. And I'm willing to eat steak and potatoes with you guys, just as long as you're willing to eat the quinoa burger with me. And <laughs> so in you know, food food is just, I think, a good way to correlate any type of relationship, especially for firefighters. Um, but you you have to be willing and open, and and that's really where it all starts. So willing and open is the key here, and and I'm glad you mentioned that because I've seen my share of firehouses where women are welcome. For example, they as long as they pass the same physical test, no one has a problem with them. But then there are firehouses where the men just don't want to accept women because it's a man's job. So if we're already having a problem there, how do we change attitudes for anything other than simple gender differences? I I think probably one of the the biggest, maybe it's not the easiest answer, um, but we all know, any of us that have worked in a station, um, we all know peer pressure is one of the strongest influences you will get in a firehouse. And I think that's, you know, the, the stations I worked at and when I was the only female, there was an incredible influence, one by a station officer who knew it was the right thing to do and knew you you have to be open to people. This isn't about your personal preference. This is about a work environment and willing to take a risk and put themselves out there. So, you know, somebody has to be a leader in the station, whether or not it's going to be the designated leader um, that has the title or it's going to be the informal leader. We know every station has one, if not two leaders. And that is part of their responsibility to, to take that ownership and say, you know what, everybody deserves a chance because I'm sure we can all remember our first probationary year and we all remember what it was like to go against somebody that's, you know, salty and 30 years on the job. And, uh, yeah. you know, at that point, it, it didn't even matter male or female. Um, but I understand what you're saying, right? How, to, you know, if we're still talking about conquering uh, black versus white and male versus female, then how do we even get past that to, to move to the next step of allowing somebody with a, a different idea to come forward and actually be able to use it. There's many firehouses I've been in that it's been extremely successful. And because of that inclusion of all these different thought processes and people from all different walks of life, they are by far more successful. And even little things, um, how clean the rig is in the morning, how good their documentation is on EMS runs, how much fun they have at the station. And that starts to carry outside. You know, they're, they're getting together as a crew um, to go to restaurants or bars and have their families meet each other. But it is, it's a mindset. And that's the responsibility of the administration to, to bring in that quality of applicant. And then it's the responsibility of those officers to teach their firefighters, you know, right versus wrong, good versus bad. Those are 
those are ingrained human nature things, not not something you pick up in 10 weeks of an academy. I'll be back with more right after this. When that call comes in and you rush to head out, the last thing you're thinking about is your safety. But your safety is all Federal Resources thinks about. At Federal Resources, we work to make sure that every responder is equipped, trained, and ready to come home safely. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. I suppose I've tiptoed around this, but I want to hit it head on. When you talk about diversity, I know, as we just said, you're not just talking about male versus female or black versus white. So what are some of the elements of diversity that we're actually talking about here? So the the things that I see in here when when I'm going through applications or interview panels or any anything that talks about bringing somebody new into an organization and it, this isn't just sworn you know we we look for an equal amount of diverse candidate for civilian positions it's for the entire organization and for me you know i'm looking at i look at an application and i see this incredible work ethic i see somebody that been putting themselves through school and paying for it with three part-time jobs. And, um, and I'm reviewing this resume and looking at everything. And then I finally meet this applicant and they say, you know, I, I, I was raised with very little money and my grandparents brought me up and we lived in a one bedroom apartment. And, and then the next applicant I see is equally as hardworking, but they're saying I was very lucky. My parents had two really good jobs and I went to Harvard and I still want to be a firefighter. Those two people bring an extremely different perspective. And that perspective will be necessary for the types of calls they run when it's EMS calls and for homes they go into when there's a fire and somebody has lost everything that they own. But I want those two different, absolutely diverse mindsets. You know, I want the person that studied abroad for two years. That's different than somebody that just went to high school and has never lived anywhere but the city they were born in. There's just a lot of life experiences. And so we try and pick up a level of diversity through an interview process, not necessarily a checked box process, even though all of that is important. And then ultimately, you said it in the beginning, you know, we we all have to meet the same benchmark, right? When when things go bad, Nobody cares who shows up on their doorstep, right? Because we all put on the same gear and we all look like the same person. So we still have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, we still all pass the CPAT. We still pass a written test. We still have to get through recruit school. So the, the level of qualification doesn't change no matter what color you are or what gender or what your religious background is. But I certainly want to have the opportunity to be able to get to know and understand why people think the way they do. And hopefully it has a positive effect of being able to relate to the community. I mean, we, we know the whole community isn't white male and white female. Um, and we just have to be able to relate to our customer a little bit better than we currently do. Isn't this a form of reverse discrimination when you're saying the white male who applies may not be appropriate for the job simply because the white male? Well, absolutely not, because that is not what I said. <laughs> All right, well, give it to me again so that I get it this time. 
Well, what I did say is that the white male and a white female is not the representation of an entire community. So that also could have been said the black male and the black female are not the entire representation of a community. I've never seen a community that's all one or all the other. Um, And I haven't seen the entire country, but that's just based on my experience. you're going to assume that it's diverse. Uh, There is some form of diversity, um, even if we look at age, right? Are we hiring an 18-year-old? Are we going to have the ability to hire a 40-year-old who's in their second career? Both are viable candidates to me. But I, w- I do want to answer your question. And there, a- there is actually a whole side of the diversity conversation that there are times that I feel bad for the white male applicant because it feels like they do get singled out as, well, because you're white and male, you're never going to get hired. We've um, got a bunch of you already. So, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, what is a bunch of you exactly? Like that's, um, and that's why I keep saying, you know, it's nice to bring in that thought process, but those two white males, that could be my my person that was working three jobs to send themselves to community college, and, and that could be my Harvard law candidate. Either one of those, I don't care if they're white or black. They're still having a full different perspective that they're going to bring to the job because of their life experience. So I, I there is a point that it's like, this is what this is part of what kind of drove the article to say, are we getting tired of that word diversity? And have we just kind of done it to ourselves where it's it's just become the thing, right? Have you been to the diversity class? Are you going to this diversity thing? Like we're not helping ourselves any by just kind of like over drilling it. And and then there's a huge part of our population that probably does feel somewhat offended by it, by they're saying, well, I'm white and I'm male, but I worked really hard. And everybody is working really hard for these positions. If there's one thing we know, it's there is still in the fire service a vast amount of people that want to be firefighters. And that's why I go back to, I want the opportunity to bring in the biggest variety of people. But when the day comes that things go bad and we put on our gear, we all look the same. And I want to make sure that my community has the best possible candidate coming to their door for whatever their problem is. And, and that's part of the testing process. So at that point, whoever scores higher, whoever works harder, whoever gets the quicker time, whoever's going to spend their time with their nose in a book, those things are also equally important. So it's this little balance of the conversation that my responsibility is still to the community to give them the best service that they could possibly need or want. Those are some great insights, and we'll leave it there. Trisha Walford, thanks for being on Code 3 today. Thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. And we put some more information on diversity after hiring on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash diverse. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. This is a good one. Accidental exposure to fentanyl or its OD victims is likely to be fatal. True or false? The answer right after this. Ever notice that Scott always tells you that you can get a guest's book at our website, Code3Podcast.com? That's because we have links to order their books from Amazon on the episode's show notes pages. It makes it easy for you to get the books, and it helps support Code 3. When you buy Amazon through our website, we get a small cut too, and it doesn't cost you any more to order through us. Plus, there are other firefighter-related products there too. Take a look at Code3Podcast.com. 
Here's your trivia answer. Accidental exposure to fentanyl or OD victims is not likely to be fatal, according to the American College of Medical Toxicology. Stories circulating about sudden death or medics and firefighters becoming ill after skin exposure haven't been validated with evidence. They're more like urban legends. Experts say the usual PPE gear, used correctly, will protect you. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com. <laughs>